You are listening to the Critical Mass Radio Show, Orange County's business talk show focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies with your host, Richard Franzi. Welcome to this edition of Critical Mass Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi, and boy, am I excited to have our first guest on the program today. Sharon Schweitzer, Ph.D., is the author, and we're going to be talking about her latest book, Access to Asia, in just a minute. The show is brought to you by our advertisers, Center Club, Decision Toolbox, MBN Design, SunUp Group, and we support 1OC, which supports the Orange County community of nonprofit organizations. If you'd like to connect with me on LinkedIn, I am Richard Rick Franzi. CEO Peer Groups is my Twitter handle. And on your favorite podcasting software, simply type in Critical Mass Radio Show, and you'll get our weekly updates of the live shows we stream here on octalkradio.net. Finally, if you'd like to watch us in our behind-the-scenes camera, we are videotaping every show, and we put it up on our YouTube channel, simply titled Richard Franzi. If you're interested in multicultural international business and the ways of building such relationships, then my guest, author Sharon Schweitzer of the book Access to Asia, is going to be here today to give you just a bit of her insight on conducting successful international business. Sharon, welcome to Critical Mass Radio Show. Thank you, Rick. I'm delighted to be here. Let's start very simply with your book. And for those of you that uh, would like to watch the YouTube channel, I'm here in the studio. And as you can tell, Sharon is not, but I have a copy of her book. And I'm holding it up to the camera right now so you can see the title. And it's published by Wiley. Um, Tell me a little bit about the background, kind of what, how you came up with and identified the need for this book. We're going to talk about the content of the book here in a moment, but just set it up for us. What was the inspiration for writing this book? Well, I'll tell you, you're, you, Rick, you and your listeners are going to want to know a couple of things. First of all, we wanted to communicate two major concepts. First, we wanted to dispel the erroneous assumption that there are universal ways of thinking, feeling, and behaving around the world, because we see that bias played out in organizations a day after day worldwide. Number two, We wanted to emphasize that relationships are dynamic and that regardless of your home country, we all share a common desire to relate. And we're seeing that a lot now with the uh, Gallup organization and their universal attributes called strengths. Yes. So those are the two main concepts. But the third thing we wanted to do, and we engaged the global intelligence firm Stratfor, and we asked them to produce a report on U.S.-American business travel to Asia. We wanted to identify the current and future top-ranking countries for U.S. investment, business, and travel. And there were six countries that rose to the top. And these account for over 70% of all U.S. business travel to Asia. So we included those six countries in the book, uh, China, Hong Kong, Japan, India, South Korea, and Taiwan. Um, They're also key destinations for U.S business and investment, and they're also major U.S. regional trade partners. So business to these countries is not expected to decline significantly over the next two decades. So we included those countries in our book, as well as um, some other countries, uh, Singapore, the Philippines, and Malaysia. And then I have a personal fascination with Myanmar, which uh, I was formerly considered to be Burma, and so we included that country also. 
So I understand um, from a young age you were exposed to this concept of multiculture through through traveling around. Can you tell us just a little bit, just a little bit about growing up and kind of that experience? Yes. An important part of my background is that my dad was a member of naval naval intelligence. So he flew reconnaissance missions since the time I can remember. So our family traveled extensively. I'm the oldest of six children. And so growing up, I used to try to figure out how long my dad would be gone. So I would go in and count the number of socks in his suitcase <laughs> to try to figure out how many days Daddy was going to be gone. Wow. And we, we traveled so much through the Pacific Theater, you know, Guam, Japan, the Philippines, Hawaii. You know, this really broadened my world of view. So by the time I graduated from high school, I had attended 14 different private and public schools, hmm. which in itself is an education and cultural adaptation. So the other thing is, after I graduated from law school, I spent the summer in China, Hong Kong, and Thailand. And that was the summer of 1989. And so there was a lot happening there, as you can well remember, with Tiananmen Square. Yes. So that also was was quite an immersion in culture. So you have a law degree and you're a Ph.D.? Is that correct? No, my co-author is a Ph.D., oh, Dr. Liz Alexander. I, I just have a J.D., so I have a Juris Doctorate. I wouldn't say just. My, uh, I know many of fine uh, lawyers who have J.D.s, and that's something to be... You earned the, those initials, and I'm talking with... Uh, and we're talking about, first of all, access to Asia, and I'm talking with Sharon Schweitzer, J.D., and the book, I found the book fascinating, and um, I'm, if it's okay with you, I want to just kind of touch on a couple different topics, and we have about, oh, six or seven minutes until we take our next commercial break. So w- one of the concepts that you talked about in the book is knowing if people prefer to act individually or if they prefer to act as a group. And what I found interesting as I read your book is some of the beliefs that I have that are, I think, are universal beliefs based in Western culture, you know, growing up in the United States. It caused me to think at a very base level almost, um, how do I build a lasting relationship when people don't see the world in the same through the same prism that I do? So let's, can you share a little bit about what your research and what you found relative to cultures that prefer to act individually or as a group? Yes. And this really impacted me as a child, first of all, living in in Japan, and then also in the summer of 89 when I observed this in China. And then just conducting business as an employment lawyer. You know, we live in an individualistic society here in the U.S. Canada and the U.K. are also individualistic societies. And what we mean by that, Rick, I know your listeners are going to want to know this, we consider ourselves individually responsible for making decisions. So we tend to use the words I and me in most of our business conversations. And in more group-oriented cultures like China, Japan, Korea, uh, Singapore and Taiwan, there they have group consensus. That's what's prevailed, and it's considered more appropriate in group cultures to speak in terms of we, us, our, and, and the, here's how that makes a difference in business, okay? When you're at the negotiating table and you are trying to expand into international business markets, 
and that can be the, the if you can be trying to expand here in the U.S. and meeting with Asians here in the U.S., or you can be abroad. You can be in any of these Asian countries. But what's important is that when you're sitting down at that negotiating table, you want to avoid what we call the overly confident use of me, me, mine, and, and mine. We want to, to be more inclusive and use we and us when we're referring to our company and our team because Asians focus on making sure that we are consensus-seeking and we're team-focused before they commit to doing business for the long term because in an Asian society, they look very long-term because they do not want to lose face. They do not have a transient or a transitional community. They do not move. Like, we will move from New York to L.A. to Chicago for a job quickly. They don't do that. Asians have a community that they grow up in that is great-grandfather, grandfather, father, son, great-grandson, and it moves. They stay in those same communities. So if you lose face or get embarrassed in a business deal, people know about it for several generations. And that's one of the things that you talk about as one of the points is to understand how people compare and regard time. And I think you're, you're touching on that point right now relative to um, how we view time rel- relative to our horizon. But also you, you talk about how we view time as either linear or maybe not linear. Can you, can you share a little bit of what your findings were in that area as well? Yes, yes. The other thing we talk about, you know, we, we joke sometimes and we talk about, um, you know, rubber time. But it's, you know, when we do international business meetings, we will see things, uh, you know, this is a flexible start time. This is Malaysian time or this is going to be a, a, a hard time. This is U.S. time. So we know if it's a 9 o'clock time and they say 9 o'clock Malaysian time, we know we can get there about 9.30, 10 o'clock because people are going to be having coffee. But if it's a hard start, we know we better be in there and tails in our seats because we are going to start promptly at 9 o'clock. You know, there's some differences in time, uh, and there have been millions of dollars lost in international business deals because people don't understand there are two concepts of time. Right. I could Holochronic I, and monochronic. I'm sorry, but you, that example just could set off the Western culture person thinking, well, these people are rude and... They don't really want to do business with me. and I mean, it could really just from the very beginning, if you don't understand the, the, the some of the content in your book, you, you might go into negotiation um, really starting off on the wrong foot. And I'm talking with Sharon Schweitzer. She is the author, co-author of Access to Asia here on octalkradio.net. And I'm your host, Rick Franzi. You know, one of the other areas that I found um, fascinating, and, and it actually reinforced a conversation that I had a couple of weeks ago with um, a gentleman who is in the Department of Commerce here responsible for um, trade with Asia, and that is the way different cultures view rules and regulations. And, and could, could you share a little bit about your research found in that area? And we have about two minutes left in this segment. Yes. Oh, yes. Rules, um, you know, when conducting business, we in the West tend to follow public rules, such as government regulations. Um, we rely on formal contracts, legal courts and lawyers, and accountants to carry out our transactions and protect our interests. We call this a, rule, a rule-based system. But that is not the way it's handled. Um, in Asia, 
they have more relationship-based agreements. And in those systems, the agreements are between private parties. They're very informal, they're implicit, but each party perfectly understands what is involved in those communications and agreements. They're private, they're informal, um, and they are sometimes very difficult for outsiders to understand, and they cannot be verified by third parties. There's really nothing in writing. They can't be enforced in a court of law. There's no judge or jury. You really don't have any way of verifying what those contractual terms are going to be. Um, they're conveyed by maybe a pat on the shoulder, a handshake, or a bow. So, you know, they don't, it's not a rule-based communication or a rule-based agreement. It's a relationship-based and that's why, again, we get into the community. They've been in the community. They know each other a long time, and they know they're not going to um, they're not going to have a problem because it's relationship based. And as you as you were explaining the difference there, and as Jim Mayfield, the gentleman with the Department of Commerce, was was explaining it, um, actually as well last week here on Critical Mass Radio Show, um, it it, sound, it starts to sound to make to me. The R system a little bit less attractive because because it ends up being litigated uh, right and wrong based on the document versus what might be settled in a relationship uh, that is maybe more conducive to maintaining a longer term business relationship. I would think there are some advantages uh, to systems outside of what we're used to here in Western culture with with its rigidity and rules and regulations, Sharon. Well, you know what's interesting, Rick, is it's moving, people are moving in both directions. And we're having a huge discussion worldwide about what we call cultural convergence. Now, I don't think we're going to see that. I think everyone has a huge appreciation of their own culture and their own heritage. However, let me give you an example of what I see with rules and relationships. If you travel to China or you travel to some other countries, you will see, um, just observe with your own eyes, a police officer standing in the middle of the intersection. He or she will be conducting traffic. And you will look up and right above the police officer or the traffic cop, you will see a traffic light. And they will be conducting traffic, and you think, well, who do I, who do I follow, the light of the police officer? <laughs> right. Well, obviously, you need to follow the police officer because he can immediately issue you a ticket or pull you over and take you in, whereas the traffic light can't do that. But that's an example of a rules-based versus relationship-based where they're trying to meet in the middle. They're trying to begin to implement the rules of following the traffic laws. Let's try to get some traffic lights. Let's try to get some directions by the police. You know, police are relation-based. Mm -hmm. But now they're trying to get some traffic lights. They're trying to get some automatic lights. That's rule-based. But they have both in the middle. They're trying to do both. They're trying to get the police, who are obviously relationship-based. They've got the traffic lights. They're rule-based. But here they're trying to do both because they're trying to make the system they're, they're trying to implement both systems. Interesting. It's almost like having signs that are in you know different languages to try to effectively communicate with people. This is that's a, I see kind of an analogy there. I'm talking with Sharon Schweitzer. She is co-author of Access to Asia, and we're going to take our commercial break here on Critical Mass Radio Show. But don't go anywhere. When we come back, I want to ask her about the book. It's really a multicultural guide to building trust and inspiring respect, and is you know I think creating 
creating a long-lasting business relationship. So I'm going to ask her to, uh, you know, there's a lot of content in the book, and we're, we're only going to touch on some of the points of it. But uh, when we come back, Sharon, I guess I'd like you to sort of explain what a reader will gain from buying and reading your book when we come back from this break, okay? And my pleasure. All right, ladies and gentlemen, don't go anywhere. We'll be back in two minutes here on Critical Mass Radio Show. When it comes to pioneers in their respective industries, we all know the Apples, Starbucks, and Trader Joe's of the world. In the realm of recruiting, Decision Toolbox is the industry's best-kept secret. With 90% of their business from referrals and repeat customers, for over 20 years, Decision Toolbox's U.S.-based team of recruiters, sourcers, professional writers, quality personnel, and tech support has perfected a Six Sigma approach to talent management. No matter the size of the project, Decision Toolbox delivers incredible results. A cost per hire less than half of what contingency firms charge with the winning candidate presented in an average of 14 days, all with a 12-month candidate warranty. With results like that, Decision Toolbox won't be a secret for long. Visit us at www.dtoolbox.com for more information. I just wanted to share with you my experience as a member of Center Club. Many of you know that I've been a member of Center Club in Costa Mesa, California for over five years. I hold my monthly CEO peer group meetings there, my annual executive conference, which we just had yesterday, and 100 people had a chance to exchange ideas with Kevin Bailey, president of Vans, and Michael Houlihan, co-founder of Barefoot Wine, and it was a great experience. And I also have my daily meetings at the Center Club. I found the staff to be professional and courteous. My guests enjoy meeting at the Center Club with its newly remodeled meeting rooms, dining rooms, and common areas. And if you're looking for a place to conduct meetings or host events or meet some of Orange County's most successful business leaders, then joining Center Club in Costa Mesa may be the answer. For information regarding club membership and private events, please visit the club website at www.center-club.com. All right, welcome back to this edition of Critical Mass Radio Show. You know, our show can be heard live here on octalkradio.net every week at this time, but also you can listen anytime to the podcast versions of our interviews, which are available on Apple iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, literally several hundred companies' websites whose CEOs have been guests on our shows, and the company has placed that interview somewhere on their website, as well as various other podcasting software and systems that we've used to reach our audience. Each month, we have somewhere between five and 14,000 downloads of the various shows that we've aired in the previous month, as I said, live here on octalkradio.net. So if you'd like to learn more, just type in Critical Mass Radio Show into your favorite podcasting software, and I would suggest that our program will come up and you can become a regular subscriber. All right, let's get back to talking with Sharon Schweitzer. She is the co-author of Access to Asia. You know, before the break, I said this is, in my opinion, really a multicultural guide. And and I wonder if you could share with our audience of business leaders, kind of when they read the book, what are they in for? What are they going to gain from that experience? Your readers and any readers to the book Access to Asia will gain information. First of all, they're going to learn quite a bit about world culture and some of the cultural dimensions that distinguish us from other cultures. So there are some things that make the U.S. very different from other cultures. 
so a lot of people say, well, what could, what could, you know, everyone thinks the same. All these cultures are similar, but they're not. We're very different, and we have different values than um, other countries do. So one of the first things you can do is, you know, in the U.S. chapter, we talk about, we give people a quiz on the U.S., and a lot of people are very surprised to find out that, uh, the Internet in the U.S., our Internet speed is number 10 worldwide. We're not number one. And a lot of people are really surprised to find out where we rank in terms of individualism, where we rank in terms of formality and informality. Um, they're, they're very surprised in terms of hierarchy, what we think about power distance and um, how comfortable we are with um, inequality and qual- equality. And then when you're doing business with someone in another culture, how you figure out, well, what is, what is their power distance? Have they had a dictator in their country? And how strongly that impacts how you do business with them. So you learn a lot about your own U.S. culture. You learn a lot about other countries. And then there's something called self-awareness. And we have a self-awareness profile in the book. So you can compare kind of what, what your cultural barometer is and decide, you know, here's kind of where I am. How much do I want to change, if at all? So the book kind of serves as as a primer. And you can look at it and and decide, you know, do I want to be flexible in my thinking, my motivations and behaviors when I'm doing business? But I also want to maintain my own values and morals that I hold dear. So it gives you a barometer where you can look and say, gosh, this is what's important in this culture. And I want to do business here, so, you know, maybe I'll think about this, and maybe I'll um, consider these concepts in terms of these cultural dimensions. And then it shows you how different each country is in Asia. People are usually very surprised at the differences between uh, the Philippines, Myanmar, and China. The, The differences are vast. People have no idea that you don't bow in the Philippines. They think you bow in every Asian country, and you don't. And then they find out there are three degrees of bowing, 15 degrees, 30 degrees, and 45 degrees in Japan. So Hmm. there's a lot of differences. There's a lot that they benefit from when they buy the book, in addition to finding out that this is, the book is based on a global intelligence assessment of where the best business is going to be conducted in the next 20 years. Right. So you've you focused on countries that have the most potential and that would be probably wise for a U.S. company, because I'm speaking with a largely U.S. audience here. We're in Southern California, and we have listeners across the country. Frankly, we have them around the globe, but we program most uh, consistently for our U.S.-based business owners. This is really, you know, I, I found it interesting, too. You have you have exercises in the book, quizzes that people can take. I mean, this is, um, and, and and you've divided chapters up by countries so that if, if I'm going to Singapore, I can find the Singapore section, maybe take the book with me on the plane, or in the weeks leading up to my trip, really spend some time and do my basic homework so that at least I'm more culturally ins- sensitive and aware. Exactly. You can take the book with you. We have a lot of people who have said, oh, my gosh, you know, I had no idea all of what I learned about these different countries. You know, a lot of people know you can't chew gum in Singapore, but what they don't know is that you can't pack it on the plane, you can't have it on your person. They 
they had no idea how strict the rules are in Singapore, and they take them very seriously there. It's a very rules-based uh, society, and they don't think of all the countries in Asia being rules-based, but that one certainly is. So it, it's very interesting to compare the differences in the countries. You know, and, and I think... Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think in um, you, you talk about equality as it relates to um, men and women, and that it, I think I have this right. The Philippines is one of the most progressive countries as far as allowing women in the senior leadership position. Do I have that correct? Yes, you do. That's exactly right. Um, even though there's a, quite a bit of machismo in the Philippines in the workplace. Men and women are considered equals, and they are right at the very top. They're tied with Norway in terms of how women are promoted. And if you look at the Global Gender Gap Index, a lot of people are just stunned to see where the Philippines ranks. Um, it's, it's very impressive. And the folks that we interviewed, we interviewed over 130 people for the book, and a number of people just time and time again talked about the opportunities that are available for women in the Philippines. How long did it take you to research, compile, and write and get the book published? Well, about two and a half years, and that was working two days a week full-time on the book away from my business. So tell us, can I ask you a little bit about your business? Can you share with us, in addition to being a successful author of this book, what else do you do, Sharon? Well, I do quite a bit of work for organizations uh, here in the U.S. and internationally. I work with corporations and very highly motivated individuals. I also work with universities, and we conduct cross-cultural training. I do global leadership work, and we also customize training for clients. So a lot of times folks will come here and we'll work with them or we'll travel to work with them um, based on what their needs are, and we customize a num- quite a few programs for people. And um, is, is, am I correct in saying your firm is protocol and etiquette worldwide? Uh, yes. Currently, that's the name of the company. We're going through a rebranding okay. process. Okay. Oh. So um, we're going to be probably called cultural passport or something along those lines right now, but you can find me at austinprotocol.com, which is also my Twitter handle, Austin Protocol, but it's like the city of Austin, Texas, austinprotocol.com. You know, I thought it was interesting. You, you you reminded me now that you're 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 Austin based, and early in the book you talk about kind of comparing and contrasting Formula Formula One racing and NASCAR racing, and how Formula One reentered the U.S. by picking and and racing in Austin. But I thought, well, that is really a um, a glaring example of sort of different cultures, right? Yes, it is. And, you know, Formula One is coming back, and we have a 10-year contract, and Formula One will be here in just a couple weeks. And I'm actually doing a a, a seminar for the Chamber of Commerce here, um, a workshop on preparing Austin's leaders for international visitors on Thursday. So Formula One is still, we're very happy and very delighted to have them come back here on an annual basis to Austin. And that is one big group of international uh, visitors that uh, is very diverse from all over the world. 
Right. It, there's a there's a bigger. Uh, it's embraced, you know, more around the world than it is here in the U.S. But and, and you just sort of you talk about how you know the drivers and the and the and the vehicles, etc. And then comparing that to NASCAR and then the people who follow both sports. It's, it, it was just an interesting. I think it was a great way to begin the conversation about uh, multiculturalism and etiquette and protocols, etc. So you know, I felt like. We've done a good job, ladies and gentlemen, skimming the surface on some of the content that's in this book, but in no way did we do justice with the richness and and the amount of content that you can, research content that you can benefit from. So if someone would like to buy your book, Access to Asia, how do they do that, Sharon? Well, the book is available at Barnes & Noble. It's available at Amazon.com, Books-A-Million, um, 1-800-CEO-READS. There are a number of places that folks can buy the book. And you can also go to my website, and you'll find, um, you know, Wiley Publishing. You can buy it direct and get a bulk discount. Okay. Uh, Bookwoman, there's a number of places that you can purchase the book. So tell me your website, please. Austin Protocol, A-U-S-T-I-N-P-R-O-T-O-C-O-L.com. So do you think there'll be another book in your future, Sharon? How did you know that, Rick? Um, in addition to Access to Asia, we are starting on the rest of the... the it's a series of business guides. So okay. we're going to be doing access to uh, Latin America and access to Africa and then access to the Middle East. So we have quite a few books that are... Uh, in the hopper, so to speak. Well, you have an open invitation, and your co-author, if you want, to come back to Critical Mass Radio Show. I, I really, truly enjoy having authors of books that are game, aimed at my audience, which are business owners of 2 to $100 million companies, to talk about the, the their books. So when you're ready, any one of the next in the series, you have an open invitation to come back on Critical Mass Radio Show, Sharon. Well, thank you, Rick. I appreciate that, and I will take you up on that offer. And thank you for the kind and wonderful interview. It's just been a pleasure. It has. The time has flown, and I really, um, again, if you're if you're listening to us live or you're listening to it as a podcast, maybe you want to go to the uh, YouTube channel because you can see the the book Critical Ma- I'm sorry, Access to Asia. So I appreciate the time, Sharon. You've been a great. Uh, interview and i look forward to speaking to you again on a future episode of critical mass radio show thanks for being a friend of the program and welcome to our community thank you have a wonderful evening all right i will thank you very much all right ladies and gentlemen uh, i was really excited to have sharon on the show i found this book to be information packed ladies and gentlemen again you can see it, it you get your money's worth when you when you buy this book and if you're at all considering or already starting to do business in asia i think this is a must read especially if you can focus in on just the sections that have the countries that you're interested in, and they are uh, surprisingly different. Uh, She was right. You can think maybe if you learned one culture, they play the rest of Asia. Well, guess what? They don't, and that may even be more of an affront to them if you think just because you know China, you can go to one of the other countries and, and get by. You really need to be a little more sensitive to their local cultures and customs than that. So, um that's going to do it for this show. I'd like to thank, obviously, our advertisers who support this program, and they are Center Club, Decision Toolbox, MBN Design, SunUp Group, and, of course, we support 1OC. If you'd like to link, uh, connect with me on LinkedIn, I am Richard Rick Franzi. CEO Peer Groups is my Twitter handle. And on your favorite podcasting software, simply type 
Critical Mass Radio Show, and you'll get our weekly updates that stream live here on octalkradio.net. My YouTube channel is Richard Franzi. And if you'd like to learn more about my business, Critical Mass for Business, say you're here in Southern California, uh, check us out, criticalmass4forbusiness.com. I'd like to thank our engineer for today, Paul Roberts, our producer, Joan Park, and I'm your host, Rick Franzi. Until our next show, I hope all of your decisions will move your company in a positive direction. You have been listening to Critical Mass Radio Show Business Talk Show, focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies. With your host, Richard Franzi, 